Hello and welcome everyone to another live Q&A. My name is Andrew Krauss. I co-founded and write with Stephen Key over, it's about 22 years ago now. And we've been coaching and mentoring inventors to license their products for royalties ever since. Um, so I'm going to do a whole hour of Q&A. Um, there's two main paths you can go down when selling your inventions. Um, is you can venture it, which is just a fancy way of saying make it and sell it yourself. And then you have to have employees, you have to raise money, you have to distribute, manufacture, and do everything that's required to sell a product. And that is not what we teach. What we teach is licensing, and where you license your product to a company, and it's their money, and it's their workforce, and it's their existing distribution, and then you get a royalty for every unit they sell. You don't need to start a business, don't need to raise money, don't need to hire employees, and don't need to take the financial risk that the product may not succeed. All that risk is on them, and they have to give it back to you if they're not successful. So that's the basics of what licensing is. I like to cover that at the beginning of, of these sessions. Um, so let's just jump in and start answering some, some questions here. Uh, let's see. Uh, totally Tanya. I like that. And by the way, type your first name if you want me to read your first name instead of whatever handle you have. But Totally Tanya is a pretty cool handle. I'm nervous about calling the companies. That, oh, can somebody just type in yes if you can hear me? Just type yes. Just want to make sure. And while I'm answering this question, I'll wait for somebody to type yes. Um, okay, good deal. I always want to double check that because sometimes the mic doesn't work. Thank you, everybody. Um, totally Tanya says, um, I feel like I'm on like some sort of like old radio show that totally Tanya or something. Uh, anyway, um, giving everybody nicknames. I'm nervous about calling the companies. Um, is it customer service that I call explain who you are, who you are and request the contact info for the appropriate person or department to submit your idea to. So, um, there's a lot of different ways you can get in. We're not going to cover them all here, but there's two ways, main ways, well, three, really. Um, but two main ways our students start off with is one, using utilizing LinkedIn, which is like Facebook for business. If you're not familiar with it, Tanya, I recommend you get on LinkedIn. Um, nobody's posting political stuff or what they ate for dinner. You know, I, I just find Facebook to be such a time suck. And I, I literally, just to be honest, I go on my Facebook about once every two months. That's about it. Um, just see if there's an old friend to connect with because I see it as such a waste of time. But LinkedIn is not that. LinkedIn is you can create business relationships with people you couldn't normally get to. And um, you can invite them into your network. And a lot of people will invite you into the, will accept you into their network, even if um, they don't know you. It's, don't, it's not like you need to have met these people in person. Anyway, I could talk for a ton about LinkedIn. But so Tanya, one of the ways you can do is you can you, to reach out to marketing managers. That was part of your question. So I call customer service. So when you're reaching out on LinkedIn, you're reaching out to a marketing manager. Um, you could also reach out to salespeople if you wanted to, because they're pretty open to talking to folks. But usually a marketing manager for a product category, if it's a very large company in the space of your invention. So your marketing manager that does your um, barbecue accessories or your kitchen gadgets or what have you. Um, and then the other uh, method is I uh, just pick up the phone and call. And in that case, I would also suggest uh, getting a hold of a marketing manager. Um, and really what you want to do is get the corporate number. Um, if you call a customer service number, 
they'll be like, oh, I need to talk to a marketing manager or such, such. They're like, sir, what product can I help you with? And you're like, I, I don't need help with a product. I'm an inventor, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, they don't know what to do with you, right? And so, but if you're lazy, you can call customer service and ask for the corporate number. I think it's easier just to Google and find the corporate number because customer service, when you don't meet the mold of what they're trying to help you with, and it's so different, I'm an inventor looking to license my product. I need to talk to a marketing manager. They're probably not going to be able to help you. So you want to call their, their corporate number. And that gatekeeper is going to be more likely to light, to direct you to the marketing manager that you can talk to. Now, a lot of times you won't talk to him. Maybe the gatekeeper says, well, you know, he's never going to pick up his phone, but uh, he prefers email. So send it to Bob Smith at XYZcompany.com. Or, oh, yeah, he, yeah, just leave him a voicemail, you know, um, and the gatekeeper can kind of direct you. So, two main ways are LinkedIn and um, the phone. And the, the, the main person you always want to go first is a marketing manager for a particular product line, you know, or a particular type of product. Um, but salespeople are very open as well. Um, uh, and then, really, another thing that I'll share with reaching out. Thank you for the question, Tanya. Is sometimes people are—we're really—we've got a whole separate program called a Smart Pitch, which is included with our coaching, which teaches people specifically how to reach out and use LinkedIn to get a hold of companies. And sometimes people they get so used to that, not having to make a phone call because they're a little timid, you know. But you're not going to get every company on LinkedIn. You just aren't. Some of them. Some people only go on LinkedIn when they lose their job. Uh, maybe they go on there every six months. Maybe they create an account, but they just haven't been on there in two years, you know. And so if you can't get them on LinkedIn, you got to pick up the stupid phone and just call. And so really any of our students that are not using both aren't fully utilizing all the tools at their disposal. Also, there's different ways of looking at people's email addresses and then just sending them a blind email. But never, ever send a submission without asking permission to send it first. Don't, here's my shell sheet. What do you think? I want to sell licenses. You need to ask permission. And if you're doing that um, on the phone, you are, of course. So LinkedIn's the same thing. You need to ask permission. This is what I'm doing. Can I send you my cell sheet or my video? I'm looking to license this product to you. Same thing via email. And naturally, you guys would do that on the phone. You know, be like, give me your email. I'm going to send this to you. You're going to, you're going to ask permission. Can I send it to you? So why did that change with LinkedIn or for email in some people's heads? We teach our students not to do it. You, you always want to ask permission. So um, going back to last Monday, just to mention this, um, we had a couple of people, just two people, I think, mentioned, oh, I, I thought this started at 410 Pacific, 10 minutes past the hour. You guys are probably a different time zone, not Pacific, but 10 minutes past the hour. And I looked it up and our customer service manager figured it out. All our graphics and everything is being promoted at four, but on YouTube, because in a long a while back, we had promoted uh, 10 minutes past the hour one, our IT manager kept copying that one when he creates some new ones for me, and it was showing as 410. So you guys were both right. Um, the, these are, we're doing these at, at on the hour at four Pacific, whatever time that is for you guys. And we fixed it so it's no longer showing as 410 as the actual time for starting on YouTube. Even all the graphics said four. So I want to thank you guys for that. It's kind of funny that that was happening. Um, that's, that's part of the reason why I was noticing more people were coming in 10 minutes past the hour. And I bet 10 minutes past the hour now or 15 or so or 20 because people show 10 minutes later anyway. 
we'll probably get some more people showing up. Um, Joseph says, any tips for a board game licensing and pitching it? I've identified companies that accept idea submissions and my product is ready to share. So, you know, it's good. I always like picking apart people's questions and also answering questions you didn't even ask. So um, I'm going to answer part of your question. You didn't even ask, Joseph. And um, and then I'll answer your question. So you wrote, I've identified companies that accept idea submissions and my product is ready to share. So don't do that. So I'm saying this just to shock you guys. If you're just identifying companies that on their website, they're open to idea submissions, that's not necessarily what Joseph is saying. That's what most people mean. If he reached out and they asked if they're open and then he wrote it down, okay, you're doing great. But what most people mean by I've identified companies is I, I look for it on their website that they mention they're open to ideas and I'm only going to send to those companies. Stupid. Don't do that. You know, um, you want to reach out to every company that's selling in all the stores that you want to be. You don't have, want, you don't need confirmation that they said on their website they're open to ideas from inventors because there's tons of companies that will not put on our site because um, they're consumer focused, but they are open to ideas. So um, I don't know what the case is for you, Joseph, but that was just a little side note on your question. So what well, your question was, any tips for board game licensing or pitching? You've identified companies and your product's ready to share. Um, one thing that, that I recently learned from our coach, April Mitchell, who's very actively poach, pitching uh, board games and games and toys and things, is the uh, toy business is much more open to getting on a Zoom call and talking to you, even though people are using Zoom way more and Skype way more than they were before COVID. Um, some companies still, they just, just let's just pick up the phone and talk. And you're not necessarily getting on a video call. But I've noticed through uh, April um, these days, April is one of our coaches that is working on a lot of uh, her own toys and board games and things, that it's much more likely to um, get on a Zoom call, in which case you're probably going to be asked to do a demo or show something. So my call to you, Joseph, is specifically for a board game. I would have your webcam set up so you can be talking or you can put it in a different position, maybe on a clip or something where it shows down, you know, on the board game and you're playing it or showing it. Or so think about whatever demo you might do, because if you're doing a board game, you're more likely to get a face to face Zoom call than in other industries. So that's just a little a little side note. Um, also, you know, you should know the history. It's hard with board games because there are board games that came and went. You don't see them anymore and they're not necessarily all over the internet, but really study the category. I, I knew this one small, um, I ran, in addition to doing InventRight for 22 years, I ran an Inventor Association in Silicon Valley for 14 years. And I had this one um, guy come on. His name was Andy Daniels with Ingenuity Games, small board and game company in San Jose, California. And he said to me, oh, my God, because he would get submissions all the time. Oh, my God, Andrew, if I see another variation at Chinese checkers, I'm going to poke my eyes out. So in other words, he was seeing what he was seeing as a manufacturer of board games is like people will come up with endless variations of Chinese checkers. And maybe somebody else is interested, but he was not. So you should. But let's say you were doing a version of Chinese checkers and you knew that there was a bazillion variations. You should know that. So you should know kind of like 
the type of board game you're doing and what else has been out there to the best of your knowledge. And sometimes I'll tell you about stuff that was done eons ago and because they've been in business a long time. But know it and realize you're selling the fun. I mean, you get really wrapped up in the rules and all that. So you got to sell the fun. You got to show people having fun. You got to get in direct to the point because you can waste, they can waste a lot of time on you with rambling with all the rules. Uh, what I found is board game inventors are the most excited inventors I've ever seen. So inventors are already really excited about their products, which is great. But board game inventors, because they've been playing, this is just a stereotype, but I've found it's very true. They've been playing the game with their family and their friends so much. And they, you know, you really get into it because you're like actively using the product and all your family and friends are going, oh, this is great. And I love this and, and et cetera. And there, you've got a lot of people supporting you. So board game inventors are especially really, really excited. Now, sometimes they, they lose it because they lose their objectivity because they've been playing these games over and over and over with their family. But when somebody new is looking at it, a marketing manager at a board game company, they don't have time to listen to you ramble. So you really got to hit the key points. One thing that our coach April is always saying is if you can make a comparable um, of a board game or two that it's kind of like, you know, and then you'd say what your point of difference is. It's very easy for them because if they're up on what's going on in the industry, well, it's kind of like a combination between this and this. It's kind of like this, but here's what's different. That can be great rather than trying to explain it from scratch. So there's just a few tips on uh, the board game um, approach to things. Um, and even for those of you that aren't ever going to do board games, you probably, found, being an inventor, you probably found that interesting. Hopefully, if you don't, just let me know. That was completely uninteresting, Andrew. Stop it. Um, <laughs> just joking. Um, let's see. Okay. I don't know what this person's name is. Oh, J Bell here. Hope you had a great weekend. What if we had a question after the six-month program is completed? What if any... What, if any, access do students have to the coaches? Okay. So, yeah, our students can continue with doing another six months, or they can become an alumni, and you can get access to the membership site for a very small fee. And we actually have, with the alumni program, we have Monday office hours. So you don't have a dedicated coach to you, but you can still have somebody to ask questions to in a live Zoom session. So um, you can continue on with the coaching. We have people that come back after many years. I, I need to up my game or people continue. But if after the six months, J-Bell, you just want to go with alumni, first of all, you can just go on your own and continue. But if you want to do alumni, alumni plus, um, you get access to the website and all the webinars and everything we do, all the Zoom sessions, all that stuff. Plus you get Monday office hours and there's a different coach in there every time. So you can definitely do that. And you can come back. We always tell our students, we're always here. Once a student, always a student. You can always come back. And, and rejoin and get help or if you get yourself into a difficult situation, what have you. Um, okay, Jeff said, you get this question a lot. Can I put a couple related inventions on a single PPA, then reference that same PPA for two or three non-provisional patents? Um, yes, you, you, you can put related things on there. It's the only time I think when you don't want to do that is if you're going to be showing a company your PPA, and you don't want to see them them to see other versions of these other things. I, I can't think of many times that I would be worried about that. Um, but now your comment is, can I throw these all in one PPA? And then can I later file a non-provisional and reference them? Well, if you're licensing and you're using our approach, you know, 
it might it might be a while before you get to those other ones, you know, like, so once, you know, but, and also, but if you haven't made public disclosure, you could just file that provisional again, get a year from the new filing date. So you could take that. So if you believe that it's, they're related inventions, yes, you can put them in the same PPA, but until here's, here's what happens. So sorry for rambling. When our students are new, it takes them longer to do everything because it's the first time doing it. But when I see a student come back um, or in that same six-month membership, they work on a second project, it goes two to ten times faster. So, But it takes you a little while to get there. you got to work on your second project before you get there. So um, could you work on, let's say you had four inventions wrapped up in that same PPA. And I'm not telling everybody to do this, but I'm telling Jeff you can do this. Um, and you work on one, but you're really slow because it's your first time. And then you're like, oh, you know, I've got like eight months left on this PPA. And so I will, um, oh, I've got four months left in the PPA, but I'm working on the second project, which is another variation or different product that was kind of associated product in that same PPA. Um, but then eventually your PPA is going to run out because you're not, you know, if you've been doing this for a couple of years, you know, you could easily work on four products within a year, easy, you know, once you get the hang of this, if not more, way more. Um, so and you could just file that PPA again. So I'm just kind of rambling here. Um, you know, so yes, you can do that, Jeff. Um, if there's things you don't want them to see that you haven't shown them yet or whatever, I'm not really that worried about that, but that's just something to think about. Um, but are you going to be filing multiple non-provisionals and referencing the same provisional patent unless early on when you're all new to this and you're not working on three or four or five or six or eight projects a year? Probably not, because it's probably going to run out. Now, could you just file that same provisional again that has three in there? Yeah, you can. You absolutely can. Um, so, and then when you get a deal, you got to break out in the licensing agreement, they're actually licensing, which doesn't have to be dependent on what's in the patent. So what's in the patent could cover you for other stuff, but in the licensing agreement, and this confuses people, so I'll make it clear. This is a good, good point. Um, and the licensing agreement specifies what you're licensing. And so you can do breakouts, all these other variations. You could have that specified that they don't have the rights to those because that's not what they're licensing. It's not what they're manufacturing. And so you could break all that out in the licensing agreement if there's other things that are in the patent. So companies, they're not licensing a patent. They're not licensing a prototype. They're licensing your product and its benefits. And whatever you want to put in the licensing agreement will call out what they're licensing, what they have and what they don't have. So I wouldn't really wouldn't worry too much about that, Jeff, because that would probably be your next question after answering that. Um, uh, El Chivo, that's uh, your handle. Is the licensing process different than getting a patent or would you get a patent and then get a license? So you're really new and I think that's great because I bet there's a whole bunch of other people who are new. One has nothing to do with the other, okay? Getting a patent is getting a patent. So, and getting a licensing deal is getting a licensing deal. One has nothing to do with the other. Now, sometimes when you get a licensing deal, you're going to refer to your patent. But we have students all the time close licensing deals. They filed a $75 provisional because they weren't sure if company cared about patent or not. Company's like, we don't care. And in the licensing agreement, they will pay, they'll say they'll pay you regardless of any patents. And we always, we, it's amazing how often we do those deals. It's not the way it's worded, but it's not making your payment dependent on a patent. And if they want to continue to manufacture it, they have to pay you royalties. So quite often it's that's stated in the licensing agreements that we guide our students to do. 
Um, so, uh, so that's a licensing agreement. So it's an agreement that's written up that says, um, we have to pay you for this under these terms, you know? So would this would be like, what's the product? Maybe there's a variation that they're not going to do. That's super expensive and their company does cheap stuff. And you're going to pull that out and it's going to specify in the contract. They don't have the rights for that one. That's a little different. And they're like, that's okay. It's not going to bother us. That's just a random example. Um, so you can specify what they're licensing in the agreement. And sometimes that is dependent on a patent and it, it will be attached to a patent in the licensing agreement. But the patent and the licensing agreement are two different things. It's a licensing agreement, just to be very clear, is a contract between you and the company. that They're going to sell the product and they're going to do certain perform in a certain way. And if not the way we set it up, you're going to get that back. So you're never really selling your idea. That's why you never say sell a patent or I want to sell you my idea. That's a total rookie move. Um, you want to license it to them and then you're going to receive royalties. And if they don't perform, you get it back. Okay. So now a patent or a provisional patent is just those things. They're just perceived protection because patents are just perceived protection to begin with. You've got to sue somebody if somebody violates them. Um, so that's separate and you can, people think, oh, falsely, like people that really knew this, like, well, if I get a patent, that means my product makes sense and people want to pay me for it. No, it doesn't mean any of that. It just means you threw a bunch of money at your patent attorney. That's all it means. It doesn't mean the product makes sense from a marketing standpoint. It doesn't mean that, um, what you have filed in your patent is strong. It could be incredibly weak. And I've seen so many of those where it's just terrible. It's like barely protects you, but some attorney filed it for you. So we advise our students to file provisional patent applications. We give our students software to do that called Smart IP. You can find it on our website separately as well. And so that's the different El Chivo. I feel weird calling people by their handles, but um, between a patent and a licensing agreement. Okay. So and licensing is just your, your effort to rent your idea for royalties, rent your new product for royalties. And it doesn't always mean you have to have a patent, okay? Um, let's see. Thoughtful Jones said, hi, Andrew. If a company has expressed the invention, expressed the invention. If, I was just going to read it like you wrote and we'll figure it out. If a company is expressed the invention to be great, they ask for a demo to be sent or for purchase, but I only have a functional prototype up to 90% and they asked for Zoom. Do I need an NDA? Okay. If, if a company is expressed the invention to be great. Okay. I don't, they're usually not going, oh my God, this is so great. They're usually not saying that. They're like, this is interesting. Can we talk? You know? Um, so you have a pro. Okay. So part of your question is, um, if I have a functional prototype, can I show it to them on Zoom? And, and it's only 90% functional. Absolutely. And you can explain the part that's not functional and how easy it will be for them to implement the rest. But it doesn't have to be on Zoom. Because like I said, a lot of times our students are not getting on Zoom. They're just getting on the phone. It could be a video that you recorded. So you might have a sell sheet or a video sell sheet that's doing the marketing, showing them how they're going to sell it. But they want some more details. So you, you, you hold up your crude or prototype. And you talk about it. Well, I, I didn't really figure this thing out, but I know how you guys would do it. You just do this, but I just can't do it. And so you can do a crude, simple video, still keep it as short as possible and send that to them if you're not doing a Zoom meeting. Or you can do it live on a Zoom meeting. I love that. If you're doing that, not everybody wants to do a Zoom meeting. Um, 
And, you know, uh, most of our students, you know, we, we talk about non-disclosure agreements. They don't offer you nearly the protection anybody thinks they do. And by the way, anything that I share with you on this meeting today should not be considered legal advice. Please consult your attorney before moving forward with anything. Um, that's my little disclaimer. Um, but when our students file provisional patents, Thoughtful Jones, why do you need to file an NDA? You know, in some cases you might need to, or it might make sense, but you've got your patent pending status from your particular date when you file a $75 provisional patent. So, um, you know, when you're trying to get that meeting and show them something on Zoom, are you, is that the time to focus on getting them to sign an NDA that their attorneys now need to review when you just want to get on the phone with them? That's your decision to make. But I can tell you if it was me, I would get on the phone with them or get on Zoom and just show my product or do a video. Nice thing about doing a video instead of the Zoom thing, especially if you're nervous, if you're good at presenting, it's great. Or if you just want to talk with them. But and even if you did send a Zoom video, you could even record something that shows you and you could play it on Zoom or you could just send it to them and go, I think this answers your question. But don't ever undervalue the interaction with the company because when they bother to get on Zoom or get on a phone call, they're interacting with you. It's an opportunity to establish rapport. It's an opportunity for an exchange. When you just do another video and send it to them, go, oh, here's how my prototype works. You guys just need to figure out this part. That's great. I love that. Um, but if you can also get them on Zoom and they can talk and go, well, what about this? And you're like, oh, well, yeah, like that. Yeah, we could do that. That's nice, too. Um, so there is no right or wrong. Um, but, uh, if you file the provisional patent, which uh, we recommend all our students do, you guys aren't students, you're, you know, fans, but we always tell our students and our fans to, uh, file, um, provisional patent applications. Uh, that's interesting. Raul said, Hey, Andrew, is there a size limit of the product you were trying to license? No, I had this guy license this um, giant uh, boring drill that was the size of like a Volkswagen bug. Um, and so there's no size limit as to what you can license in any way, shape or form. It's kind of a fun question, though. Um, we had Nancy who did the snap it screw. And it's like when you have eyeglasses and then the, the little screw breaks out there. And what you do, and it's broken, and this part's broken off, and you just push this in, and then you just snap it off. So you don't need to find the exact right size screw. So you just kind of push it in. I don't even think you twist it. You just break it off, and then it fixes your glasses for you. So that's an example of probably the smallest product one of our students have, has licensed because it's this tiny, tiny, tiny little screw. I can't think of anything smaller than that. Um, but then, like, that guy had that big, huge boring drill the size of a car. Um, Probably had somebody license something bigger than boring drill, but that's just a fun question. I like that. Um, uh, Thoughtful Jones says, he's, yes, it's under a PPA also. So if you were my student, Thoughtful Jones, I would just say, look, just try to get the meeting or send them more information. Keep the communication going. Why muck it up with trying to get an NDA? But that's not legal advice you got from me because we don't we don't provide that on this YouTube show here. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see. Yeah, uh, Rick said, hi, Andrew, how's, how's it been going? Wow, been doing this for so long. Do you ever get sick of it and want to go down a different route in life, career, or extend, or an extended trip or holidays? Um, 
I don't know if you're saying I've been doing it so long or you've been doing it so long. I'll talk about me. I think you're talking about me. So one thing I can say is I, Whenever I, I, yeah, have I, I'm 22 years we've been doing this. Do I get a little burnout at times? Yeah. But you know what keeps me going and I think keeps all our coaches and keeps our other co-founder going? There's, sometimes it's every other day, but usually it's every day. Somebody asked, is telling us how, how helpful we've been and how much we, our efforts to help them is meant to them. And I think it's a little bit different. You know, like we're not just teaching somebody to get rich, good, quick on Google AdWords or um, sell on Amazon or some kind of really boring, mundane stuff like that. I mean, those are important things, I guess, if you want. But um, we're guiding somebody, people, inventors on something like really close to their heart. Like just one day, 95% of you listening to this, this is how you're feeling. One day you just started coming up with ideas and it just didn't stop. Or you have one idea you're really into, but you want to come up with more ideas. So it became part of who you are. And so, and for some people, they don't struggle too long before finding us, but most people have struggled for quite a bit before they found us. So when they find us and they realize we're just transparent and straightforward about things, and they tell us how much they appreciate us, and we can see how important it is to them, because it's like, it's like almost for some inventors, like their invention, I'm not saying this is good, and it, I'm not saying this is good or bad, actually, it's just kind of a fact like your inventions become like an appendage, like it's just like another arm or something. And when we can take that and we can make it real, and we can help you get it out to companies that can license it so you can get it in stores and um, in people's hands so they can enjoy it. Um, it's very, very powerful. And so we're helping people with their dreams, not just, and with the inventors that we help, it's not like, oh, I just wanna be an inventor so I can get rich. 98% of inventors don't feel like that. It's like you're ex you want to make money, but you want to express yourself creatively. It's a lot more than just a business opportunity. And that's why I've, I've you know, so my answer is no, we constantly get injection in our arms with the excitement from our students. It doesn't matter that we know it, but when you see it, and I think if you lose as a coach, if you lose focus of this, you're in trouble as a coach. If you can't constantly get excited because it, the student is excited, because it's new to them, because you enjoy helping them on something they're so passionate about, you've lost it as a coach. You can no longer be a coach. But, um, and I, you know, I mean, over our 22 years, a few coaches that kind of moved on, but I mean, like um, our coaches tend to stick with us for a really long time. And I think that's part of it. They want, they want to make a difference. And um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, I think we do get tired at times, but we constantly get re-energized with people saying how much they appreciate what we did for them. And I get people saying, I've become empowered with the ability to license stuff, but I feel like I'm empowered because I did, because I did things I didn't think I can do. Now I feel like I can do other things in my life as well that I didn't think I can do. I would say the vast majority of our students have never had a coach before. I mean, maybe a sports coach, but besides that, never had a coach, never took a course, never did any of that, but they pushed themselves to do it beyond their comfort zone because they know a coach is going to be pushing them and guiding them and encouraging them um, because this was that important to them. Um, so, uh, so Rick, that was a great question. I love that. Um, 
Okay. Uh, William, we get this often. I didn't read the whole thing, but I get the gist. Here's a question. What if you saw a top-notch product from a student? Would you ever want a piece of it by co-developing it? I'm talking about a win-win situation on a barn burner type of idea. Wow. I hate that kind of pitch, William. Um, or, or, you know, it's guaranteed or whatever. I'm joking to make a point, but never. And here's the reason, because we are a mission-focused company. Um, we have never partnered with a student of ours in 22 years. And I set up that policy and Stephen really believes in the policy because what if we helped this student over here and we partnered with them and then this student over here, we didn't. And they're like, well, why'd you partner with them and not me? Was my product not as good? And the benefit, what we're offering our students is empowerment. So once we start working for the, when inventors say they want to partner, what they really saying, 90% of them is I want you to do all the work. And that's the completely the opposite of what we're doing. What our whole business has done the last 22 years and what makes us so unique and so special, it's not what everybody wants, I think it's what everybody needs, is to empower people with real life experience so they can license products the rest of their life. And so if we start partnering with some inventors and not others, then that's not our mission at all. And it muddies the waters. And so, and also just the fact that 90% of the people that say they want to partner, what they really want to go, I just want to dump this thing on you. Let me know when it's licensed. No. And then we have some people like, I think they're they, a few, not many, but like they believe like, oh, if you give a percentage, the coach will work harder. No, we work our butts off. The coach, the coach and, and, and everybody in EventRight is really giving people your right advice. They're really right alongside you there the whole time. They're putting the work on you, but they're always going to give you the right advice. They're not going to be, they're not like, they're empowered. What I just talked about earlier, they love helping. We hire people that really want to help you with something that's so important to you. And they feel that sense of importance and urgency for you. And we pick, not everybody feels this way about helping others. So we have to be very careful about who we pick. Um, so they're energized by that. And that that's enough for the type of people that we hire. If we hire the wrong people, it might not be, but we hire the right people. So I think it's a great question, William. And, um, but you, you never want to say, you know, barn burner invention, um, everybody will want it, win-win. You never want to use those terms when you're approaching anybody in my, it just seems so like get rich quick and cheesy. Um, you were just trying to relay to me the feeling. So it was perfectly fine there. No, no problem. And if you want to do that, fine. But I highly recommend you never say I have this product. Everybody will, everybody will want it. That is the stupidest thing you could say to anybody in a company you're trying to license to. Um, you don't use win-win and you don't say no brainer, <laughs> you, you know, let them, do good marketing so they'll see it and go, oh, yeah, our customers would want this, you know, and that that's how you do good marketing. Um, OK, Thoughtful Jones earlier was saying, yeah, they saw my sell sheet in demo video. Um, but I'm just saying, so, yeah, if you want to get on a Zoom with them, I think that's great. I think it's fantastic. So but it's sometimes what the point I was trying to make is. Sometimes there's some little detail you want to share and you can't get on a video call 
but you're going to share how it works. So let's say you're our student, Nancy, that licensed that snap it screw. And you're like, okay, guys, I know, I think there's a little point of clarity we need to get here. This is how it works. See, snap it off and see, and then you like, you show something and you do a really short video. That's what I'm talking about. So you almost have the benefit of getting on a Zoom session. So the tip that I'm giving you guys is you can communicate and do short little videos, not long rambling ones, about little things like, your, I think they're unclear on this. So I'm going to do a little video on it and send it to them. They love, people love that. People love videos. I think that's great. Um, let's see. I'm losing track here. Saeed, hi, Andrew. If I'm contacting companies on LinkedIn, should I request their help with regards to my submission in the initial message when I request to connect or should I just connect with them first? What we teach our students is just connect with them first. Don't ask for anything. Do not send a custom message. Just ask them to add to the network. Generic message works way, way better because, you know, think about it. They don't know you and you're already asking them for something. So once they add you to their network, which they won't all do, yeah, I would wait at least three or four days. Our LinkedIn for licensing expert, Benjamin Harrison, he always recommends that, um, which is hard for you guys to do. So it also makes it easier. But no, don't send them things unsolicited. Don't make a request when you're adding to your network. Just add them to your network and see if they 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 go ahead and add you or request the connection. Send the re connection request and you'll see if they add you to their network. Um, let's get some questions from people that have I haven't got to. Um, as this channel said, Andrew, any tips on order of execution, prototype, patent, lawyer retention? How about a non-disclosure agreement? The order baffles me. So I'll, get, I'll give you some basics. So um, first of all, you need to study the marketplace. You need to know everything of, that's in your product category. So if you have a kitchen cutting board, you should know every freaking kitchen cutting board on the market. And Google Images is a really easy way to do that. Google Shopping, Google Images, and of course, going on Amazon. So you need to know the space of your invention and the way they market things and the different price points, the different benefits for these different products. So you need to study the marketplace. Then you need to make your list of companies. That can take two to 10 hours to do if you're doing it right. And it sounds a lot, 10. Okay, it might be three or four or five, but sometimes it's long. And you need to make your list of companies. And then you need to make a marketing presentation. You need to um, have a marketing piece, sell sheet or video that they're just going to get it in like six to 10 seconds. Okay. And then you need to file your PPA. And then you're ready to start calling companies. PPA is a provisional patent application for those of you who don't know. And you can file one for 75 bucks. So that's the basic order of things. So with regards to lawyer intention, none. If you're an event rights student, you know, you filed your PPA. And later on, when you get interest from a company, um, if there's some big question there, you could go to an attorney and say, what do you think? And they say, no, no, I think we got good, good possibility. We'll get this patent. Um, when we guide our students with deals, we get our negotiation coach, Paul, to help. And he gets people to about 95% done. Every deal is not going to go through, of course. And then he says, look, this deal's done. He's gone, helped you go back and forth with the company. And he's like, have a licensing attorney just for an hour or two, dot the I's and cross the T's. So we help our students get so far done that there's pretty much nothing for them to do by the time it gets done. But to cover our butt and cover theirs and do the right thing, we say do not sign anything before you have a licensing attorney. Licensing attorneys are the ones that review licensing contracts, review it before signing it. But our, 
our negotiation coach, Paul, is helping you go through everything before then. And it's not about the contract as much as it is about getting to the contract. If you don't do and say the right things, you won't get to a contract. Okay. And that's way more important. And our negotiation coach and our coaches help our students do and say the right things to get to a contract. It's not like if you guys, if any of you are thinking, oh, when they get interest, they'll just send me a contract. It's not remotely. No, you're going to have a lot of conversations and discussions and those need to go right. And also other thing that some of you may be shocked by is if you just, when a company shows interest, just do whatever they ask you to, almost all the deals will fizzle out. It's a combination of kind of answering their question, but then taking the conversation where you know it needs to go. And when you have an event right coach, you know where it needs to go. So my point is most of at least half of the deal getting done is the student, the inventor, guiding this big company. But you're not guiding this big company. You're guiding an individual in the company to go the right direction, to think the right things. And most of you are probably like, I'm not going to tell this big company what to do. No, you're not telling them what to do. You're guiding the conversation because maybe the company's licensed 15 products, but this marketing manager has been with the company two years. They've never actually personally been involved in the license deal. They don't know what the F they're doing. And this is very common. Now, even when they think they know what they're doing, they're not doing licensing deals every day, all day long like we are. So they, they'll ask these, they'll get off on these tangents. And we know what we need them to be actively thinking about because they're very busy. So are you just like take completely trying to pull them down your path? No, I'm not saying that at all. You're kind of sometimes half answering questions, sometimes full, and then kind of redirecting the conversation. So, and especially early on when they just email you and then inventors just wanted to go back and forth via emails. Don't do that. You got to get on the phone and talk to them. Um, so let's see. Uh, let me see. I got to get some, get some questions that we haven't got to some people. Um, let's see, Stefan, what you want is a PPA. No human will see your submission unless you give them the link. <laughs> no human. Once you have a licensing agreement, there is no worry about making it into a patent. Yeah, what, what Stefan is trying to say is if they are going to agree to pay royalties regardless of patents, then you can still um, move forward with it. And you've got it in writing in the licensing agreement what they agreed to. Um, Je Geist MMA is their handle. How do you go about submitting to a global companies that operate in the U.S.? How far does the PCT cover you? So, you know, to me, I'll make a general statement. I think you're much more likely to license to a U.S. or Canadian company than a purely European company. But with that said, if it's a global company that's in Europe and they got huge distribution in the U.S., I consider that the same as a U.S. company. Okay, so the, but a company that is just in Europe and doesn't have any distribution in the U.S. and Canada, I think they're a little bit more old school and you're a little bit less likely to license them. So but Geist MMA, which that's your handle, um, you know, PCT is called a patent cooperation treaty It's kind of like a placeholder, um, uh, kind of like a PPA, but not. And it's a placeholder for filing international patents are incredibly expensive. Most of the time, these companies aren't going to want to file around the world. The thought that the company licensed to is going to file patents around the world 
is a ludicrous thought nine good most of the time. So don't believe. Now, you can break out if they're in the U.S. and in Canada and just, let's say, in Germany. Okay, you can break out. You'll only give them those territories and you won't give them other territories. And if you want to file PCT or spend tons of money in other countries and you think you can do another deal there, great, more power to you. But the PCT is very expensive, guys. So um, you really want to file a provisional patent and then do everything you can in a year, which if you're using the event right approach, unless it's a really difficult project, like a packaging product, if you're doing it the event right way, you would never need more than a year with 98% of products that are out there. So, um, so how, so it's perfectly okay to submit to global companies. I think, you know, European companies, New Zealand, Australian companies are more likely to license, um, Asian companies, again, if they're in the U S the same as U S companies, some of these companies have large headquarters in the U S, but if they're just in Asia, that's going to be kind of tough. There's a lot of Asian countries, India, Asia, there's really not a lot of respect for intellectual property. It can be very difficult. So that's why to think that you're going to license this product around the world to different companies in every country doesn't usually play that way. Um, but it could for the right product. So these aren't things you should take as black and white. It's a general feel for with the 22 years I've been doing this, what I see most of the time. Hmm. Uh, let's see. Okay. Um, okay. Scuba Steve or good friend, Scuba Steve, you, you, you attend most of these Scuba Steve. Um, hello, Andrew. How many ideas would be too many to push onto a company at one time? Great stuff as usual. And thanks for all the helpful information and advice you and Steven have given. So what I would say is, I would never present more than one at a time, but your opportunity when you send one and they say they're not interested, because most companies say they're not interested. You only need one to be interested. So that's going to happen most of the time. And you are you open to more? Can I send you multiple at the same time? Do you only need one at a time? Um, do you have any tips for me on what you are looking for or not looking for? Um, so once you send one, it's your opportunity to establish a relationship and ask. But I would not ever send three products, five products, 10 products to a company at once without first getting their permission. Um, and even then I, I would just send one and just, and make it a decent one. I have to be interested in it. Like, Oh, okay. This guy's not wacky. Yeah, sure. You can send me more, make it one that you can put your best foot forward where they're going to be more likely to send. Yeah. You can send me a bunch. Um, so that'd be my, my advice. Uh, 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 channel said, okay, here it goes. If you died, Andrew, why am I dying? Oh, are you, are you mentoring and have leaders in the pipeline to take over? Uh, you, you do a great job, Andrew. Thank you. Um, I don't know if you're talking about taking over my role as the co-founder of the company or these Monday Q and A's. Um, we have great people in our company. Um, you know, uh, so I think that we have we have our head coach, Terry O'Mara, who is in charge of all our coaches. Uh, we have um, our negotiation coach, Paul Sorensen. He's amazing, um, as well as many of our coaches that 
if you're referring to just this Monday Q and A, um, it's very morbid. But yeah, if I was to get hit by a car tomorrow, we'd probably find somebody to take my place. I, I know that's not necessarily what you're saying. I'm very insulted, but okay. And I, I don't like to think about my own death. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and yes, yeah, Stephen and I, we want. It's pretty unusual that you have a company like ours that continued for 22 years. And Stephen will tell you, I'm really, really stubborn. When I latch onto something, I just don't give up on it. And there was the early days um, where gee, we just weren't very profitable because it was such a small market. We weren't reaching out to the world. We were just in Silicon Valley. And then one of our students who's now famous, Tim Ferriss, wrote a book called Four Hour Workweek. And we started getting interest because we were mentioning that book from around the world. So when we started branching out from just Silicon Valley to worldwide, then that that was the right thing to do. And I have to thank Tim for mentioning us in his book and us getting out of Silicon Valley. I've since moved from Silicon Valley 13 years ago. I'm never going back. It's just too crowded. Um, I got issues. I'm very much Silicon Valley native, but I've lived in Henderson, Nevada, next to Las Vegas for about 13 years now. And I love it out here. And I, I could never go back to crowded Silicon Valley. Um, also out here where I live, you can buy a giant house for what you can buy a closet for in Silicon Valley. So I like that. But um, yeah, we, we really uh, want the company to go on beyond Stephen and myself. And um, I think we're going to accomplish that. So we do have things in place to make that happen. So that's pretty cool. But yeah, in the early days, I was just, I really believed in what we're doing. And um, what's really cool is what I talked about earlier. Our coaches really believe in what we're doing. Our head coach, Terry O'Mara does. Our negotiation coach, Paul Sorensen. All our coaches, our customer service staff, Heather, Talia, and Chris. Um, our sales staff, Dana and Sylvia. Um, we're, we're on a mission. Yeah, it's a job for a lot of them, but they're also on a mission, just like myself and Steven. And they've found that same fire um, in their belly, if, for you, if you will, um, as we have. And um, so I think if we're going to continue to go on, we got to always make, there's always got to be somebody that helps our employees maintain that fire or whoever's running the company. And I would love to go another 22 years. So um, that was a really long answer, but a good, a good question about me dropping dead. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, oh, what William said, thank you for my answer to that barn burner question. I'm glad you answered it that way. Yeah. It's, whenever I say stuff, guys, I'm just trying to help. So I'm never being critical of any of your questions. I don't think I ever have. I can see somebody taking it that way possibly. So William, I appreciate you understanding. And I'll pull like things you didn't even ask out of your question and go, oh, I always go off on this tangent sometimes. But Nobody ever complains about it. Everybody says they like it. So, um, uh, by the way, so if you guys, before we, we're not going to wrap up for about nine, 10 minutes, but if you guys could help me and help invent right out, but particularly me, since I've taken a whole hour to help you guys, um, when you're watching our videos, give them thumbs up. Um, when, if you're not subscribed to our channel, subscribe, it's not like you're going to get spam emails or anything from us. When you subscribe on YouTube, pretty much nothing happens there. But it helps us tremendously. I'd love to go from 50,000 subscribers and 51. I forget what it is now. You guys can probably see it. I can't. Um, to 80,000 in the next eight months. That would help us out. Because I hear then things start to snowball with YouTube putting you out there. 
So um, tell people about the channel. Most importantly, subscribe, give a thumbs up, and, uh, and that would be helpful. So let's get back to answering your questions. Um, well, Stefan said, you know, for me, being an inventor is about is being myself. That's great. Yeah. And that's what I was trying to make that point earlier. Like being an inventor has become part of who you come for most, who you've become for most of you. So yeah, this is a better way of saying what I was trying to say earlier. When we can help people become how they see themselves and how they want to be, that's like super powerful. And so, yeah, if you're selling, which is not us, you're selling some get rich quick course and somebody envisions them themselves being rich and you can help them be rich. Okay. But that's just crap compared to what we do. We're helping people monetize their inventions, but we're helping them be the successful inventors they envision themselves to be, which involves more than just make making money it involves people enjoying your creation, you know? And, and if, if you're not on my side of things with helping inventors, you don't see that over and over again. And I see what we're doing as being very powerful and that just fuels everybody in the company to keep going. That's why we retain our, our coaches for so long and have been with us for so long, that and many other reasons, because they, they want to make a difference. And, you know, for some of you, I think your jobs, you don't feel like you're making a difference. And to be honest, in some jobs, you're just not. Like, I, I think I shared this before my aunt, she had a manufacturing business and she, she, had, she was an entrepreneur and she had all these employees and they were doing assembly in Silicon Valley, assembly of different electrical stuff. And um, she was already retired at that point. And I was telling you about what I was just sharing with you guys. And she looked at me like, you're full of it. Like business is just problems with employees and customers and complaints. And you're just there to make money. And that was her perception of, of business. And that's not at all how we feel here at InventRight. Um, we feel very good about what we're doing. Um, but some of you, you know, you're stuck in that job that has an employer that just, you know, you're just a number. And so when you can work on something you're passionate about on the side, it it can make you happier. It can make you connect with your family more. It can make you feel like you're, you're getting some forward momentum where your job's a dead end. But you got to keep that job because, you know, it pays your rent, pays your mortgage. Sometimes we don't have choices. So when you can keep that thing that you don't think is going anywhere, maybe your job or whatever you're doing, and you can do this on the side, it's a source of um, excitement, empowerment, hope, you know, not false hope, really true hope. And you can do all that without having to mortgage your house and home. I don't think I could ever counsel somebody to venture and sell their own products. I, I've talked to people, advisors that do that. And like people are mortgaging their house, they're taking a second mortgage. They're like, and and I've and they these people that I've talked to that have counseled people to venture products, make and sell the products themselves. Some of those people have ended up on the street. You know, they're like they're living in their car because they've been doing this. That's never going to happen in event right because with licensing, it's their money, it's their workforce, and it's their distribution. We're telling you to do a seventy-five dollar provisional, do a few things, and let them take that risk. So I feel really good that we can help people live their dreams, but we're not putting their family and their livelihoods in jeopardy and they don't have to dump everything else they're doing in order to do it. So I don't think I've ever shared that aspect of licensing and what we do to that extent on one of these Q&A sessions. I don't think I've shared that. So thank you, everyone, for the, or asking those questions. Um, 
Uh, do, do, do. Collins, Collins Copeland. I know that name. Uh, hi, Andrew. I've taken your course in the past. It was very helpful. Can you talk about a little bit about your IP services? Um, you know, I mean, for the most part, what we help people when we coach and mentor them, um, we're, we're giving them unlimited help during that six month period. Um, but, you know, sometimes people come to us and they very specifically want to know, like they want to get a patent search done. We'll send them to somebody, but we'll always, we'll always make sure that they're prepared. Like I sent there this, I'll, I personally look at it, by the way. So when we do a patent search done, we'll tell the inventor how to prepare. They'll send it back. And I told this inventor, like, you're not giving me what I need to give the patent searcher to do a proper search. And so we kind of go over and above when we're, we're trying to be different than patent attorneys. Some patent attorneys use patent searches, some of them, not all of them, as a mechanism, definitely invention promotion companies do, these invention scam companies, to say, oh, it makes sense. You should do it. It's like, so you do a patent search and you don't find anything similar. So now that product makes sense. It doesn't mean the product makes sense. It means you couldn't find a similar patent. That's all. It doesn't mean the product makes sense or you should move forward with it. So I find that patent attorneys will play on that misperception, which is truly a terrible misperception. And people will spend $10,000, $20,000 because of that misperception. Um, and we go out of our way to um, help people prevent from making those mistakes. But we encounter a lot of people that have already made those mistakes and, and it's too late, but we can help them not make those mistakes again. Um, so I don't even know what the original question was. Um, oh yeah. You wanted to know about IP services. Um, so we, we do have some, like for some people, I really deep into like, it's an area where patents are really important. It's a particular industry or it's really difficult. We'll get in there and we'll analyze it. Um, so reach out to me at Andrew and InventRight If you want more details on that, um, tell me what your needs are. I'll tell you if we can fit, create something uh, for you. If you got, particularly issues on IP concerns. IP, by the way, for those of you who are new, is just short for intellectual property. And intellectual property is patents, copyrights, and trademarks. Most of the time we're talking specifically about provisional patents and patents and trademarks and copyrights a little bit less, but they weigh into the factor. So if you ever want to sound really cool, um, you can say, you might be wanting to really mean, I think I get a strong patent on this, you can say, I think we can get really strong IP on this. My attorney let me know. So then you sound cool, right? IP, which again is short for intellectual property, which technically means patents, copyrights, and trademarks and trade secrets, but you're pretty, people usually use it in reference to patents. So um, yeah, that's a little tip if you want to sound cool. Understand what you're talking about before you start using it, though. Um, let's see. Uh, uh, Druk Knight. Hi, Andrew. Can you provide any examples of successful ideas licensed without PPAs? Uh, I don't have any at the top of my head, but God, we have tons of students that have licensed. It happens all the time. And the company is not like, oh, no, you need to file a patent or you need to upgrade this from a provisional to a patent. Um, I mean, if you look at all the products on our testimonials page, I don't like, we're, we're working on redoing our entire website. I don't like the way it's currently set up now. You need to click on it to see them before you can kind of see them. But you'll see like tons of products and people. Um, and it's a lot. It's, it's So it's like, 
so many that I wouldn't need to excite a specific examples. I don't have a percentage though. Um, but I do, I do get your point in, it would be nice to have some examples of, um, products that were licensed and the company didn't care. Um, but I just don't have them off the top of my head. So maybe, I, maybe I'll do a YouTube video on that. I, that's a great YouTube video actually. So, uh, yeah, thank you for that idea. I think that'd be a great video here are, yeah, I love that. Here are five products, our students licensed and the company didn't care. I need to get permission from the students because we, we don't share anything about our students. You know, when they do success stories and they're like, oh, yeah, we're, we're fine with talking about it. Great. But I would probably want to ask the inventor first, are you OK with me saying that the company didn't care about patents? So it'd be a bit of work, but I think eventually I would try. I'm going to try to do a YouTube video on that because I think that's very empowering for people. Um, and, you know, it's one thing for us to say it, but it's another thing to give actual examples. This is just a hour Q&A, but um, I think that's a great, fantastic idea. So don't have your real name, but Druk Knight is your handle. Thank you for that. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, Tom said, hi, Andrew. Could you have a licensing agreement with a retailer whereby we as the product designers have already put in place and set up a full manufacturing pipeline with suppliers. Well, that's not a licensing agreement, Tom. Um, so that would be you venturing the product. So if you have uh, already put in place and set up manufacturing and you said with suppliers, then that's not a licensing agreement. That's you selling to the retailer. That's venturing, right? Because when you license, the company is going to handle the money, the manufacturing, the marketing, everything. So if you've got manufacturing already set up, you know, and retailers don't want to do licensing deals for the most part on the products that they sell. They just want to buy product. They're like, just send me your product. And hey, if it doesn't work well, then they're like, yeah, we're just going to give that back to you, you know, or we're not going to buy it anymore. So retailers rarely license products on their own house brands. They might, but for the most part, companies like Walmart or Home Depot or Lowe's, they're just trying to reduce price on generic stuff, and they're not being super innovative with their house brands. Now, there are some that are, um, but it's very unusual. I cannot remember the last time one of our students licensed to a retailer's house brand for their own products. It's just very rare. And, and so, you know, you've got everything set up. So one way of looking at it, Tom, is... Well, you've got manufacturing, you got all this, and you might find a, a manufacturer, not the retailer, the manufacturer that wants to sell that retailer. So you could talk to the retailer, see if they're interested, then talk to one of the manufacturers that sell at their store, do the licensing deal with them, and license the retailer. And maybe that manufacturer really appreciates you got all this manufacturing set up. Maybe they're really freaking big, and they're like, uh, no, we got our own manufacturing. We got this handle. We can get that price way down. We want to use our own guys. But they might be like, oh, no, this is an area we haven't been manufacturing in. We like the quotes you got. But most, for the most part, you're never going to get the type of pricing these giant companies are going to get. So whatever you figured out with manufacturing, they might be able to get those prices down lower with the volumes and doing it slightly different ways. But I'd say you're bringing something to the table, Tom. So why not use that to your advantage? Realize for everybody that are out there, you don't have to do that to do a licensing deal. Tom did. You don't have to do that. Yeah, well, face-to-face -face meeting. Tom, you don't get face-to-face -face meetings. You're 
you're talking about, yeah, you're, you're kind of make you're doing a lot of mentors do. And Steve and I, when we were putting up a, we're working on a new website and like, if you want to learn how to play football, you get a coach. If you want to learn how to do something in business, you, you know, in any area of business, you always get trained, you get, you get education on it. And so for some reason, inventors think like I can just license stuff and not have any education and no training whatsoever. And they end up falling into these traps, which is like, oh, well, I'm supposed to get a patent. That's the first thing to do. Right. And I'm like, no. And tons of inventors, vast majority of inventors will go out and do that. And if you found us before you made that mistake, which it is a mistake, you know, what you did there is you made assumptions. People that know and do licensing know that's not the first thing to do, but you thought it was. So it's very dangerous just to make tons of assumptions. And so, Tom, you're making a few assumptions there. Um, you're assuming you're going to have a face-to-face meeting. You're making a lot. You assume that you needed to work out all the manufacturing. You didn't. Now, maybe you were looking to manufacture it yourself before. And now you're like, oh, crap, this is more difficult and costly than I thought. Maybe I want to license it now. Okay, you got some great information, you know. Um, so, you know. So when I answer questions, guys, don't feel offended because I don't have all the facts because you type in a few things. But so, Tom, thank you. That was a great question. And I think it helped a lot of folks. Um, Okay. All right. So we're about five minutes past the hour. I think we're going to call it call it a day. Um, If you guys want to type in any comments, if you appreciate it, any thanks to me. Um, I was like I said, you know, we keep doing this because we get people saying they appreciate us, whether it's fans or whether it's our students. And, um, you know, and so we we appreciate that. It's like, oh, that was helpful and you feel good about it. And so not everybody feels that way. Not everybody wants to help other people. Um, but when you have somebody like myself or other co-founder, Stephen, or all our coaches or customer service staff, sales, marketing, everybody, we all want to help. So we do get energized by you guys saying things. And I, I like it when you guys are straight up. Um, so like on the last session, we had two people saying, Andrew, why are you guys promoting this? It's saying it's at 4.10. And I'm like, no, it's not. Everywhere we promote is at 4. But then we figured out, our customer service manager figured out that on the actual YouTube show, now it's fixed, it was showing 4.10. But everywhere on the graphics and everything in writing on LinkedIn or everywhere else, we were promoting it at 4. So I love it when you guys just, you know, give give some helpful advice and help us out with stuff like that. Or um, the gentleman earlier, I got to remember what he said, and I'm going to write this down. Provide examples of successful ideas licensed out of the PPA. It's a little bit of work, but I'm going to try to do that YouTube show, not making any promises. I get busy, get distracted, <laughs> just like you guys do, I'm sure. And I'd love to do a video of like four or five products or students license and the company didn't, the PPA was fine and they just didn't want to continue with any intellectual property. That would be an amazing show. So you guys have great ideas um, for shows. So love to see any ideas you have for shows. Feel free to, to type them in. Um, so yeah, I want to remind everybody to take care, keep inventing. And my name is Andrew Krause. I'm the co-founder of InventRight and we'll catch you guys next time. See ya. Bye.